The gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So this sermon is uh, a little bit just for Preston and Catherine, so I hope they're in the room somewhere or will be here soon. There's Preston, I see. Okay, so, oh, how, so, I know, well, these are readers, they wouldn't really help, but this is a commissioning ordination service, and so we began last week talking about Matthew chapter 1, and we looked at this weird chapter that is the genealogy of Jesus and has all of these names, and many of which are not familiar, even if you know the Bible fairly well, and many of them are complete misfits. And we talked about why the genealogy of Jesus is, contains so many people that you would never expect to be the mothers and fathers of Jesus. But we also noted that the very first two words, the very first two words not only of Matthew but of the, Old, of the New Testament are biblios genesios, book of generations or book of Genesis. That Genesis is not only beginning an account of the story of Israel, but it's beginning an account of all things, the story of humanity, the story of creation. Genesis, as we know, is a creation account. And Matthew is implying, just in these two simple words, that what he is writing about Jesus is a new Genesis, that it's a story of a new creation, something entirely brand new and fresh is happening in the birth of Jesus. Now, that's chapter 1. Matthew opens where the Hebrew Bible begins, that is, with creation, But he also ends where the Hebrew Bible ends, with a commissioning. Now, we would never put this together. We would never notice this just by reading our English Bibles, because in those, what's the last book of the Old Testament in your English Bible? Anyone know? Malachi. It's different. And it doesn't exactly end on a high note. You can go and look at it later today, but... It's a rather ominous cliffhanger. But the Hebrew Bible is different. The last book in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, is not Micah, but it's Second Chronicles. And at the very end of Second Chronicles are the words of Cyrus, who's the king of Persia, the most powerful person on the face of the planet. And he says this, After his nation has held Israel captive for decades, after Babylon and Assyria, they've been in captivity, been in exile for hundreds of years. Now, 
Cyrus gets this commission that he believes is from God, and he says at the very end of the Hebrew Old Testament, the last words are of this pagan king, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up. May the Lord their God be with them. Now, if Genesis is the root idea for Matthew chapter 1, this section, the very end of the book of Second Chronicles, is the sort of root idea for the last chapter of Matthew. And it sounds peculiarly similar. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Cyrus, this king of Persia, has received all kingdoms. That means that as far as the eye can see, he owns the earth. That's how extensive his kingdom is. I have received all the kingdoms of the earth. And he commissions Israel to go and rebuild this temple of God. Jesus, however, has not just the authority of all the kingdoms of the earth, but all authority on heaven in heaven and on earth. And he doesn't send Israel merely to rebuild something physical, a temple, but in a sense, he commissions his followers to be the temple of God. And where is this temple set? Not necessarily in Jerusalem in one place, but anywhere God's people see their need of grace and an are called by him to follow Jesus in their particular place. Now, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience who know the end of Second Chronicles. They know the end of their own Bible. And he's saying to them that Jesus is not only the new and final Cyrus, but this little band of disciples is the new Israel. He's telling the story of Jesus, you see, as a retelling of the entire Hebrew Bible. He's retelling in Jesus the story of Israel, the story of creation. And he's telling Jesus' story as a recapitulation of human history itself. That's what's happening inside the book of Matthew. He comes, that is, Jesus comes to fulfill all that Israel was meant to do, to meant to fulfill, but failed in doing. He comes to fulfill the task, you see, that's originally given to Abraham that's developed through the Hebrew Bible to be a blessing to where? To all nations, not just Israel, the little confines of an ethnic tribe, but Israel is to receive God's blessing in order to be a blessing to all nations to bring the knowledge of God and His salvation, His healing and His peace to all the world. That is the the commissioning of Israel. That is now the commission of this tiny little band of nobodies who become the church, to be a community where justice rolls down on all people. And you see, 
what Jesus is doing in giving this great commission, it's not really all that new. It's a recommissioning. It's a relaunching of the original mission of God. But now, with even less significance, less resources, with this tiny band of disciples so puny and so unimpressive that you would be tempted to hear Jesus and think that he's joking. He couldn't ratchet up the task any higher, and he couldn't have found a less likely band of people to fulfill it. This little band of disciples, misfits, really, mostly day laborers and women, they are tasks, tasked with cosmic revolution. Not just to build a temple, not just to build an institution called the church, but to bring about something cosmic in scale, to bring God's peace upon all of the earth. That their task really, in many ways, is turning backwards everything that is broken and fallen and sad and exclusionary about the world. But the promise is that they do it not with Cyrus's earthly power, as impressive as that might be, but with this little tribe, this infant church with no money and no cultural status, no impressive people and no earthly power, but they are given all the power of heaven and earth. And so the church that finds its story in Jesus, the church like in town that says the one thing that we want to be is we want to be rooted in Jesus. We want to follow Him. We want to emulate Him. And we find our purpose in Him. The church that does that, though not impressive by worldly standing, though lacking physical material resources, which we've certainly experienced through the years, whose leaders, Preston and Catherine, know and not just suspect that they are unequal to the task. This church and its leaders are incorrigibly, recklessly hopeful. They're unrepentantly committed to the idea that it can be the church, a peacemaking community, where healing and justice and peace are experienced by all of those who come into its midst. And its leaders encourage all of us to use our work and use our words to bring the delight and the mercy and the love of Jesus to the people in our city. Now, this passage is known as the Great Commission, and so therefore it's a very uh, a perfect passage to use for this ordination service, which is a commissioning. But it could be called just as much the Great Commission as the Great Provision or the Great Empowerment or the Great Assurance. It doesn't come across quite so powerfully in the version that we read, but if we were to open the old King James Version, you would read verse 19, "'Go ye therefore, and lo,' I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Lo is emphatic. Lo, look, behold. 
Look where? What are you to behold? It is not yourselves. It is not calling a leader to to do an assessment of the qualities and the strengths and the capabilities that they bring to the task, not at their personal assets, nor at your perceived weaknesses or lack or shortcomings. In other words, it is calling you, Preston and Catherine, not to look, not to behold your spiritual regimen that you probably wish was stronger, not at all the questions that you don't know the answer to, not at your inexperience at this calling and this role, and neither at the rather unimpressive lot of all of us that you are choosing to attempt to lead. But look, lo, behold, to Jesus, who is the I Am. He reveals Himself, you see, as this covenant-making God of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible. I Am, the same God that called Abraham and Moses and Isaac and all of the apostles and saints, says that He, I Am, is with you. Not some of the days or most of the days, but all of the days, every single day of your life, in every single moment where providing leadership feels overwhelming and exhausting. And friends, every single day of in-town's life, as we feel like we're sort of poking around in the dark, not all that significant, wishing for something bigger and better, what Jesus is saying to a group of people that is tinier than this group, that He is with them and He is with us, present in all of our corporate and individual challenges and in all of the ways that we think we are alone. And leadership, friends, is one of the most lonely places that you can choose to occupy that He is present and with us in all of those places that we feel like we don't belong. And most leaders, as they are challenged to occupy a new station, feel like everyone knows how to do this but me. They feel like they don't belong. And what Jesus is doing is He's saying, nonetheless, I am with you. And so as you come forward in a few moments to be prayed over in this formal ceremony to have hands laid upon you and commissioned, I want you to hear in all of these words, which are a bit more formal than we're used to at InTown, I want you to hear Jesus whispering to you, look, behold, I am with you. Now we have this beautiful opportunity to invite these, these two uh, courageous and or foolhardy uh, people into, onto our stage, into our midst to complete this service with the ordination and installation of two new church officers, Preston coming as an elder and Catherine as a deacon. And throughout all of Christian history, God has invited anyone who believes, who is baptized, is inviting them, commissioning them, them into a calling to minister to others in His name, to bear witness to Jesus as Redeemer 
and as king and to love and serve those with whom they live and work. If you are connected with Jesus, that is all of our callings, independent of the fact whether we have a a formal role to fill or not. But to some throughout Christian history, it gives a more specific calling, and we have variously called these men and women apostles, prophets, teachers, and priests, and they have led communities of God throughout history. At InTown, we reside within a tradition where we elect and ordain elders and deacons and ministers, three offices. And Catherine Summers comes to be ordained as a deacon, and Preston comes to be ordained and installed as an, in the office of elders. And so I want to invite you two up now, and anyone here who is part of in town's consist- consistory, that is uh, pastors and deacons and elders. Um, and also our good friend Jay Braben is here, who is um, a minister at one of our other uh, Reformed Church of America churches, and I'd love for him to come up as well. And what I'm going to ask you guys to do is, like the Herseys did, if you could stand as close to the stage as you can. One of these things is not like the other thing. And it's not just because you're pregnant, but, <laughs> but you are joining a group of um, white males up here. There's too many of us, and so we are so glad that you have chosen to join us, and we hope that you'll be an inspiration to other um, people that are not old white men to be a part of this, uh, this august body as well. Not everyone's old. So. Not quite. Not quite. So... Deacons and elders are called to serve as Christ served, and we look to them to be people of spiritual commitment, of exemplary life, compassionate spirit, and sound judgment. Deacons are set apart for a ministry of mercy and service and outreach, and they distribute the gifts and the offerings of the church to those in need. They provide direct care and counsel for persons inside and outside of the church, and they visit and comfort the distressed and assist the congregation at services of worship. And elders are set apart for a ministry of loving care for the welfare and for the order of the church, and they have a duty of oversight for all of those who belong to the church, inspiring and equipping us to live in harmony with God and harmony with one another. And elders and deacons, together with any ministers that are a part of the church, form the consistory that we collectively lead God's people in proclaiming good news to all. And so now, Preston and Catherine, before God and the presence of this congregation, I invite you to answer these questions. Do you confess together with us and the church throughout the ages, your faith in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you believe in your heart that you are called by Christ's church and therefore by God to this office? Do you believe 
the books of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God and the do- providing the doctrine of salvation and rejecting all contrary beliefs? Will you be diligent in your study of the Holy Scriptures and in your use of the means of grace? Will you pray for God's people and lead them by your own example in faithful service and holy living? Will you accept the church's order and governance, submitting to the ecclesiastical discipline should you become delinquent in either life or doctrine? Will you be loyal to the witness and the work of the Reformed Church in America using all of your abilities to further its Christian mission here and throughout the world? And now, one particularly for you, Catherine, as a deacon, will you faithfully, diligently, and cheerfully manifest Christ's love and care to distribute the offerings of God's people, to visit and comfort the distressed, to minister to the poor and needy, and strive to advance God's reign of justice and peace. And Preston, as an elder, will you faithfully, diligently, and cheerfully study God's Word, oversee the household of faith, encourage spiritual growth, maintain loving discipline, and provide for the proclamation of the gospel and the celebration of the sacraments? Now, um, as I thought about this and um, copy and pasted the, the uh, Book of Church Order components, this now asks for you to kneel, and I wasn't envisioning the fact that you were <laughs> going to be pregnant on stage and, and that that, what that would entail, and so why don't we just gather around you guys and uh, we'll pretend you're kneeling and uh, lay hands upon you this way. God of grace... Pour out your Holy Spirit that is gentle as a dove, burning as fire upon Catherine, and fill her with grace and power for this ministry of deacon in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And also would you pour out your Holy Spirit, gentle as a dove and burning as fire upon Preston, and fill him with grace and power for this ministry of elder, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, I declare that Catherine Summers and Preston Bird are ordained to the office of deacon and elder. And now we as a congregation need to make a response to that. They are now ordained, but we have to install them into this particular church. And so I want to ask the members again, to rise uh, to receive this brother and sister as duly elected and ordained servants of Christ, and we would answer, we do. Do you promise to respect them for the sake of the offices for which they have been chosen and ordained? Do you promise to encourage and pray for them to labor together in obedience to the gospel for the unity, purity, peace of the church, the welfare of the whole world? and the honor of Jesus Christ. Beloved people of God, receive these deacons and elders, this deacon and elder, as Christ's own servants. Support them in love, that their work may bear fruit. In the name and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I declare that Preston and Catherine are duly ordained, installed as deacon and elder at In-Town Church. And thanks be to God. We're so glad to have you.
Thank you so much.